something outside. What is that? Radio, everybody out there, this is Gunnar Monson. We are here today. Uh, with me is Julie Wrench. Julie, how are you? Julie, can you hear me now? Yes. Hey, Gunnar. <laughs> hey, I had to <laughs> mute you. So. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, I yes. A, I was having a little bit of technical issues getting the show set up. And uh, flew in at the last minute, and here we are. And uh, with us today is Mr. David Bacara. David is the uh, owner and operator of the Bigfoot Museum in uh, Georgia. And uh, I'd like to uh, bring David on here in just a sec. Julie, what's going on over in uh, North Carolina in your neck of the woods? Well, uh, we're going to be quite busy with some upcoming investigations um, in the Uari, and also this weekend we're actually going down to meet with Mike Richburg to do some trail some trail climbing down there in, in South Carolina by the, um, oh, what's the name of the river, Conagra, Conagra Conagree, I'm sorry, Conagree, uh Forest down there. Awesome. Um, I'm not, the East Coast, like North and South Carolina, are probably not the first place that that uh, folks think of when they think of you know going bigfooting. But it's I mean it's definitely got a uh, a history of reports, and there is a lot of forest over there. Uh, you live, you guys are moved right up against the Uari, and uh, right, yeah. I'm excited to see what kind of um, activity you might get over there. Yeah, we are too. It's uh, I've been going through um, looking up reports on different sites, and I came across another one that happened just 20 minutes north of our farm. I, I knew about the ones in Iwari, but this is right outside of Iwari, just up the road from our house. So it's kind of interesting. How how recent was that? Um, I think that one was back in 2012. Yeah. So, you well, know, I think they would wander out of the, I mean, if they're over there, that they'd wander out of the woods every once in a while, you know, it closer oh, yeah. to, to where folks are, people are. Right. And we also realize now that the, the feral hogs have moved into this area. Um, mm, meat. Yeah. So, you know, where where there's food, they could be following that uh, that supply of food around. And we have of course, plenty of deer in the area as well, so should be getting interesting. 
Awesome. Well, without further ado, we will uh, bring on our guest, David. David, welcome Hello, back guys. to Monster X Radio. Thanks for having me. Hey, David. How are hey. you? Hi, Julie. <clears throat> how are things in your neck of the woods? They're awesome. We finally got a little fog here. It was just single digits for two weeks, which is not too bad for two or three days. But when it goes on 10, 11, 12 days, you're just ready for a little something above freezing. So we're finally getting to the <laughs> 40s and 50s. So it's so nice to be able to go outside. Well, David, for those folks that uh, are listening to Monster X that haven't, uh, that might have missed our previous show with you. Um, can you give us a little bit about uh, your background and what it is, your connection with Bigfooting? Sure. When I was uh, 11, 10, 11 years old, my brother and I went to go see the Legend of Boggy Creek like so many other people that got into this. And I, I, I was just profoundly, uh, I was profoundly affected by thinking that something this big, and, and it was such a well-done docudrama, it could be alive and well. It was just so realistic. I mean, it was it, the way the movie was made. Um, you knew it really, really was based on true events. And even if only half of it was real, that was plenty good enough for me. So I just, ever since I was a kid, I saw that movie. I've checked out every library book I could find, watched every documentary, any TV specials. And, and instead of, you know, getting used to it, I've just become more and more fascinated by it. And uh, I became a BFRO investigator back in uh, 2009, I think, and uh, been on five different BFRO-sanctioned expeditions, uh, Georgia, Florida, Washington State. Made some great friends uh, through the BFRO, very talented, uh, very uh, dedicated, very dedicated people. Uh, not only BFRO, but all different kinds of, uh, all, all different clubs and groups. And um and then uh, I, now I do, we've been on also many, many private expeditions all over Florida and Georgia. And uh, so I've been, I've just been knee deep in this since I was about 10, 11 or 12 years old. Well, you kind of took your, your passion slash obsession to the next level. What is, what is it you're doing over the, in Georgia that's unique? <laughs> you know, I, I tell you that, and I haven't even been to any other Bigfoot museums. You'd think I would have gone to some and then see what they did, but I never, because I'm so far out of the way out here in Georgia, over here on the East Coast, never got a chance to get to British Columbia or Northern California to see Mike Ruggs' place. I never got to Bluff Creek. But I'm such a museum nerd. My wife and I just love well-done museums, and I, I live, eat, and breathe Bigfoot. Um, that I knew I could put the two together. And the only reason we put it here is because I live here. It wasn't like I chose this place to put it. And, uh, and because I'm such a Disney nerd, we just love Disney and, and museums that we, we blended them together because I wanted children, young kids, to be as fascinated about the subject matter as, as I was, as I am now and as I was as a child. So when we designed, when I sketched out all the, exhibits and in, in all the extra little things, the little pathways to each exhibit, I incorporate a lot of Disney-esque and uh, well-done museum methods to get kids' attention, whether it's music or sound effects or lighting. Um, uh, so, you know, lay, everything is laid out in the museum so that you don't know what's around the next corner. You just don't walk into one big grand room and everything just kind of spills itself out at you. 
you don't know what's around the next corner. So there's a little little hints of like haunted house in there too because we have surprises incorporated. So it's kind of like a mixture of all the, of all the uh, entertainment venues you go to. But, um, so it says museum on the front, but it's not like any museum we've ever been to. I, I can assure you of that. So can we look for a a Bigfoot themed uh, theme park in the future? <laughs> Don't think that the idea has not crossed my mind. <laughs> that would be cool. Well, Susan and the kids to uh, Disneyland. And it's always fun to go on this last summer and always fun to go on the Matterhorn there and see the – they actually added another Yeti in the Matterhorn. So I hadn't seen oh, cool. the new one. So, yeah. Um, it'd be cool, though, just the idea of of uh, um, a Bigfoot-themed amusement park. But you know, I, I, maybe later. I agree. And, and I, I, don't think, I don't think people – because we're all dispersed all over and we see TV shows. We don't really, most of us don't partake in TV shows or the rating game. You know, we are just <laughs> participants. And uh, since I'm no longer just a participant, I actually, you know, my, my living depends on, on people coming to my museum. I've, be, I've become much more tuned as to what people's reaction are what, what, when they come to the museum. And, uh, um, it, people are a lot more sophisticated than they used to be. You just can't put a few maps up on the wall and display a few casts and think that you have a Bigfoot museum because they'll come one time. Right. And if people ask well, yeah, that, you, uh, how was just it? That like my office. Say, <laughs> 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 like walking they'll, into they'll my say, office. <laughs> yeah, you, but, you can't. So, I mean, that, that's cool for you, but if you're going to charge admission, right. if you're going to charge admission, it has to be even better, you have to exceed people's expectations. And that's why people come, we get people that have been there four, five, six times, and we've only been open two years. Wow, that's awesome. Yep. <clears throat> so this You're is only the, five hours folks, and minutes from my house. <laughs> yep. We need to get down there, for sure. So the name of the museum is Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum. Uh-huh. And how do you pronounce the city that you're in? It's um, it's the, the small township that the that the museum is located in is Cherry Log, but we we say okay. we we're in Blue Ridge. Blue Ridge is only four miles up the road, and it's a much bigger town. And a lot of people in Georgia have heard of Blue Ridge or have been there, but you can drive mm-hmm. through Cherry Log, and blink an eye and be out of it. There isn't even a stoplight there. So, uh, the mailing address is Cherry Log, but the T-shirts and everything say say Blue Ridge on it. Gotcha. So other than, I mean, being the, the curator of the super cool museum, what else are you doing in that has to do with Bigfoot? you still get out with the BFRO? or? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, Lori Wade out of Tennessee, a BFRO investigator for Tennessee State, <clears throat> excuse me, she, uh, she coordinates and plans uh, most of the BFRO expeditions in Tennessee and Georgia. And probably even a couple of North Carolina, very talented lady, Lori Wade. So when she when she when she uh, does these BFR expeditions, I'll usually my wife and I usually show up and uh, partake in the expedition. Or sometimes we just have enough time to maybe go and do a talk at them. So I, I still go on and participate in BFR expeditions. But there's so much stuff that comes to the museum now. 
so many reports come in, uh, anywhere from two to nine a week come into the museum now. So many that I have to constantly update the Georgia map and the Florida map, and we have a map in our a tracking map in our gift shop with all the local sightings within 30 miles of the museum. So we're in a unique position where I don't have to ask people about their Bigfoot sightings or I don't have to put my name out there on the internet. I never had any, I had never had a, such a, an idea as to how many Bigfoots are being sighted until you open up a venue where people become very interested and come in and they're dying to tell their Bigfoot story. So now, after two years, we are under the we are under the uh, we really understand now that these sightings are not rare. We think they were because we rarely hear about them, but we're in a unique position where we realize, oh my God, police officers, firemen. Uh, my wife and I were in Chattanooga yesterday. Uh, I was at a marine, uh, military surplus looking for some neat props to use in the museum. And I had my museum truck, and my wife and I, we go in. We're only in there two minutes. I'm at the back looking at some cargo boxes, and <clears throat> some gentleman comes in and says, who's the Bigfoot hunter? And my wife points me out, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and this, this guy goes on to tell, he says, I've got to tell you something. So he goes on to tell me about six years ago, he had a face-and-face encounter with a Bigfoot in, in uh, Colorado, and it changed his whole life. He was a Vietnam vet. And um, it's just like, but it's just like that when you, when you're out there and people can tell you the story, you're going to be surprised at how many people have stories. Yeah, no, I had a, I had a grocery store up until last June. I had it for almost 19 years and I'd worked there before that. And of course I was doing the, the Sasquatch coffee out of it. And I, so, and I had posters, I had my little Bigfoot section in the, the grocery store and it, and I did all the locals and, you know, knew that I was into it. So it was amazing how many people would approach me and, and want to tell me their, their stories. And that was, you know, that's not even a museum. You know, there was no indication on the outside of the store that, that uh, the guy inside was uh, a little nuts and, and uh, looked for Bigfoot. But it's cool because, I mean, my experiences with, and I, I was a long-term, long-time uh, investigator for the BFRO as well. And, you know, if, my experience with witnesses was that so many times they they had held on to this information for a really i mean thirty sometimes thirty years that they'd never never told anybody they seen as crazy they you know they had a held a position that that they was they thought it would you know jeopardize their job um right. so to have somebody it's almost like being a little bit you know big for therapy maybe put yeah, it out a good way of putting it. Museum. You put a couch in the museum. Share your, share your encounters we, we here. Have two. Yeah, we have two couches. A like a psychiatrist's couch. That's right. They're special. Not that I have a lot of experience with that. Mm-hmm. Say we, we, probably about six months after we had opened, I've been getting some strange reports coming in. Um, as I was doing my BFRO, my reports and whatnot, I had a few strange things happen. Nothing that really was mind or ground shaking, but ever since we opened this place up, I don't just get Bigfoot reports in. We get people mm. in that have seen other things. So in in the past year and a half, I've had a things are starting to change before I opened the museum, but since I opened up a year and a half ago, 
I am now I am completely convinced that Bigfoot is not the only thing out there in the woods because it's the same kind of of uh, normal, hardworking, and credible witnesses that see Bigfoot. They're coming in and telling me that they've seen uh, flying reptiles. A wing was so big that it filled up the entire clear with just one wing. That's how big it was. Another lady came in to me two weeks ago, and uh, she saw, she was in a van with two other people. They were cabin cleaners, and a 12-foot one flew right in front of the van. It was, as, it was as wide as the van. Right in front of the van as they were driving down the road and, and just whipped it between two houses and took off into the sky. So, you know, you get one, you think, oh, that's kind of weird. Then you get two, and then I had a third person. So, I mean, we're in this unique position where I could go my whole life thinking that the Bigfoot was the only thing out there. But when you're, when you're, when you're like a beacon for reports, you, you are forced to face reality because the same good people that are seeing Bigfoots are seeing something else. And I resisted it. I was like, no, I am not a crystal pyramid power person. I don't, you know, I'm just not into that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm grounded. Mm-hmm. My wife sometimes she, she wants me to get, you know, be a little more not so grounded. But I, I, I'm, I want to stay grounded in known science. But when these people are coming to you and telling you uh, these things that they're seeing in broad daylight, and there's, and I even try to lead them away. I try to say so. It had a, it had a, a face like, like, kind of like a monkey, and they're like, "No, damn it! Listen to me. It had a face like a wolf." Ooh. I try to get them off that, and man, these people are absolutely one hundred percent convinced of what they saw is what they're telling me they saw. So um, I, I'm, I'm definitely realizing that there's a whole unseen world on the perimeters of our reality. And I, I can't explain it to you. I don't know the science behind it. I, I admit I don't understand. But people are seeing things that are not just Bigfoots. And some of the things we see on TV, on some of these TV shows, you know, I, I feel like they're telling the truth. Wow. That, now, going back to well, what there you is... said about the wolf, um, I, I was watching a show called Terror in the Woods. Um, and there was one on there a couple weeks weeks ago about a couple that was over near the Dismal Swamp here in North Carolina. And he claims that they they saw werewolf type creatures that were about six foot tall, yep, with tufted ears, and the the legs were like your traditional what you would think of werewolf legs that had the kind of like the bow back that they were actually yep. walking on two legs. Um, is that similar to anything you've heard down there? Yeah, it is. I, and I actually uh, interviewed a witness that hit and killed one with his car. He was a young one, only about five feet tall. It jumped over a jumped over a bridge and ran right in front of his Grand Torino, and he hit this thing right with the front of his car. And he thought it was a he thought it was like a bear or something. But he thought, what the hell would a bear be doing running on two legs? Mm. We got out of the car and looked at it. He's looking at this thing, going, "What in the world am I looking at?" It was only about five feet tall, ran out on two legs had coarse hair like a hog, but it had a face on it like a wolf. And it, its arms weren't as long as its legs. Its, its front two appendages were shorter than the legs, and it in claws. 
uh, like hands with claws on the end of them. Mm. Yeah, that's and what I, the and I did everything I could to get this. Yeah, to get them off of that. I was just trying to say, you know, so did have a face like a monkey. I was trying to lead them off, but this guy was absolutely adamant, and even supplied me with the name of the DNR officer that came out and took the body away. Wow. Now that's hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where do you put these? I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. I, you know, I'm, it's, it's interesting because we're already kind of in a fringe topic. You know, the general public looks at people who look for Bigfoot as, as kind of on the fringe anyway. And I, it's always interesting to me because what is the evidence, what kind of physical evidence exists for these other cryptids, you know, and there are folks that do report um, other unknown from flying, you know, like you say, these, these, uh, whatever, Mothman to, to mm-hmm. Dogman to, you know, and yeah, there's, you know, it, it's just where I'm, one of the things I like about the topic of Bigfoot is, uh, is how much physical evidence there, if these other creatures do exist, they, they must be even smaller in population number than Bigfoot. Because I, I think Bigfoot is is definitely more prominently reported than these other unknowns. Yeah, yeah, I, and I back agree wholeheartedly. With, you know, with with uh, footprint evidence and and hair evidence and you know uh, lots of other stuff. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting. I mean, I I, I can't. You know, somebody comes and tells me they saw something else unknown. How can I, like, say, well, no, you couldn't have because uh, I look for Bigfoot, you know. So if they had their own experience, who's to say, you know, that just uh, my my interest, I I can only really spend so much, you know, time studying cryptids in mind. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and, of course, Bigfoot was it out here, so... Um, yeah, that that's the area that. But who who knows? Like you say, I, I'd still like to see the the physical evidence for um, for any other cryptid as well. Just the same thing as Bigfoot. Let's back it up with yeah. with uh, you know pictures and 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 uh, DNA evidence. Which as we progress now, we have this you know environmental DNA, which is has kind of changed the playing field for what what is possible. Um, with uh, for collecting and processing DNA, it'll be interesting to see at some point if if uh, some other uh, DNA shows up. Because I we have some um, through the Olympic project. There's this this nest site that was found up in Washington, and and it's in the process of of uh, being evaluated and processed with using the eDNA technology. So it'll be interesting to see at some point is if some evidence is found in the DNA records for some other cryptids. It'll be that's just mm-hmm. yeah, that is kind of mind blowing to me that it could could be, could happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh what we've kind of morphed into now are studies on Bigfoot because I think almost all most of all the pertinent evidence out there is almost 
the same as the stuff that we had 50 years ago. We have footprints. We have some questionable hair samples. Um, we have lots of eyewitness testimony. But it's kind of funny, you know, what came across my newsfeed today was the this discovery of the Billy Ape out in the Congo. And I, and I don't think there's more than maybe a few hundred, the population of these things. It's a, it's a subspecies of the chimpanzee, but this thing is five feet tall. It's And they eat lions and leopards. I mean, oh. this is like a super bad, super strong and smart chimpanzee. And they've only been looking for these things since 2004. I mean, they were they were rumored to be just like uh, almost another cryptid. Like people saw them, but you know, it was just a it was a myth. This giant chimpanzee. So since we've been looking for these things since 2004, we've set maybe 50 people into the Congo looking for these things, and here it is, 2017, and that was few people, those few explorers managed to find them, film them. And we've already sequenced the DNA to find out they're only, uh, you know, they're nothing that unusual. They're simply a subspecies of the standard chimpanzee that have evolved, uh, done some genetic change because of their isolation. But here we are 50 years later looking for a, for a giant uh, man ape that lives in North America and is rumored to be uh, have numbers between 3,000 and 10,000. And we still have the same stuff that we have 50 years ago. So it almost defies logic. You're right. And it's frustrating these, because yeah, and we don't have people. the um, the funding and the groups of people that are able to go out like they they did for, you know, originally the apes and Jane Goodall type research. Um, and that's one thing many people are trying to change, you know, is to get more people out in the field and get them involved. Um, because all we really need is that one, you know, crystal clear DNA sample of something like hopefully that's taken from that nest, for example, that would spark in enough interest in somebody uh, funding a, a, you know, true expedition that you go out there day after day after day for however long it takes. Yeah, it was just, a, you know, not that long ago that, that the Falcon Project had that idea um, and it fell apart. Um, right. I still like the idea of, of a long-term boots-on-the-ground study in a particular area. You know, that's that's one way. You know, it, it, of course, the whole mystery could be solved tomorrow if a truck, truck driver is driving down the road and hits one and, and manages to collect the body and then get it on you know, put it on CNN or local news or whatever. Right. It just, <laughs> but in the meantime, we're out there looking, um, and it is, it is a challenge because, you know, 99.9% of, of Bigfoot research is, is citizen scientists or renegade scientists, as I like our friend Mark Marceau came up with, is, but you're out there, you know, and, and it's done on weekends or or on vacation and it's funded by individuals out of their own pocket which right you know that there's that's a challenge so yeah it's interesting because even jane goodall was backed by um they got financing for um her long-term study at 
at the the time when Jane Goodall started that her her uh, um, study of chimpanzees and their behavior. Obviously, chimpanzees were already known to exist, but they also um, they had really done a, a, a year was a long time to study to be out in the field. And she, you know, uh, spent ten years plus um, in the studying the same animal. Um, yeah, I think if we had some if we had the right people out in in uh, the right locations with the right equipment, um, I I think it'd be a matter of time before we could get enough conclusive uh, evidence to at least get the interest of of science. You at least you would hope that be the case, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, but I, I would venture to say that of the thousand, how many Bigfoot researchers do you think are out there right now with game cameras and audio recorders? How many smart, I mean, I know a lot of smart guys and gals. Probably right. more smart gals out there looking than guys. I, there has to be at least a couple hundred out there in the woods, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. I, I, I would, yeah, to varying degrees of of dedication, uh, you know, uh-huh. how much time they're they're actually spending out. And how, there, there's a lot of questions about that. What is the standard for for evidence collection? What happens, what, you know, I mean, even if somebody walked up on a, a corpse of a Bigfoot, what would they do with it? What would they, you know? How would they go about? Would they know what to do with about? If, if they just happen to be a bigfoot, and that would have to be if they were a bigfoot researcher, not just a layman. You know, mm-hmm. the it's it's a numbers game. The same thing with like trail cams. There's oh, why are there no pictures? Well, there's some there's some interesting pictures that are in the public realm, and there my understanding there's even more pictures that have been shown to individuals that you know people don't want. Um, out in the public realm because they're they just uh, they don't want to be seen as crazy you know, or they right. or a hoaxer or whatever. So um, uh, getting you know getting pictures with a trail cam is is not that easy. And so and then if you add in how smart are these things? You know that um, I always compare it to like if I came to into your house, Dave, and and I I hung a a trail cam on the wall of your house, you're probably going to rec- see it if if you're not. The the times that there's been something clipped on a, caught on a trail cam, it almost seems like uh, there's some other compelling um, reason that they're moving, that they wouldn't be aware. So, if, you know, if I came and I put a trail cam on your house and they set your house on fire, you're, you might be more concerned about getting out of the house than <clears throat> and not notice the trail cam. I'd probably get a shot of you running in your, you know, your boxer briefs. <laughs> yeah, some of the best stuff I've seen, they've had trail cameras on cattle. And right. they accidentally catch a Bigfoot harassing the cattle. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh, they've had trail cams trying to catch burglars, break into the barn, and they actually catch a Bigfoot in the, in the distance. And what, so one of the new things I'm trying, I used to put trail cams on trails and camouflage them on a game trails. Now mm-hmm. I've kind of morphed into, I've got game trails, uh, cameras, covering water sources, off-trail water sources. So we go off-trail and find 
like a nice big spring, I'll put a camera on it because I know that they're, they may be headed to that spring and not looking around because they're going to get a drink of water or there's a reason for them to slow up. So it's not, it's not foolproof, but it, it uh, increases my chances of maybe getting a picture of something unusual sure. that's going to be down to get a drink of water. It's got a distraction there. So that's what I do now is I try to concentrate on uh, isolated watering holes. <clears throat> and that's, totally you, you think about it, you think about it, it's still like a needle in a haystack because um, I was just some masked with Shane yesterday and, and uh, how much water in, in one particular area where how many water sources there are, you know, so unless you've got a thousand game cams that you can put at every different conceivable angle out there to catch, you know, something, it's still a needle in the haystack. And then, even if you were to get a a game cam photo, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be a clear money shot of, of a complete creature, or do you get something close up, or do you get a hand, you know, that yeah, that might be a hand or or an eye or or something yeah, far away them, okay? that you know you can't. So it's it it when people talk about how many game cameras out there, are out there. Yeah, but how many, how many are actually out there by Bigfoot or out there with Bigfoot researchers, mm-hmm. and and in and it's a needle in the haystack. And and then again, we got to factor in people. There's some you know perception that that Bigfoot is smart enough to know what a game cam is. I don't know if you know if would know, recognize it as being a camera, <laughs> but something odd that doesn't belong there and. And what process do people use to uh, uh, mask, you know, a game cam or audio equipment when they put it out so it doesn't smell like a person? Right. You know, or, or and we don't know how or, yeah. well their sense of smell is, like how right. how far into the future they can actually smell the scent of a human being there. You know what I mean? Yeah. They seem to avoid us, you know, they seem like, to avoid humans um, – to a large degree, um, though their, you know, curiosity may cause them to come in when they, they feel comfortable. So, David, let's get uh, – what's something – what's the coolest, quote-unquote, Bigfoot experience that, that you've had? Me personally? Most, yeah. Have you, had, have you had anything happen that you just, like, made you think twice or – well, I've seen two on an investigation in Alva, Florida, back in 2010, when they were coming out of commercial fisherman's property, and we got the call because he was afraid they were going to eat his old dog because he'd start cleaning up his act. He was leaving fish all over the backyard. <clears throat> so we saw we set up our tent and we had a thermal, and we had, we watched two of them. As soon as he kicked the smoker off, he says they come right out of that swamp right there. Within a couple hours, big enough, my wife was on the thermal and saw two figures peeking at us from around uh, two trees. So we watched them for about 11, 12 minutes, took turns with the thermal. And there was no doubt what we were looking at because they were upright with their hands wrapped around the tree, taking turns peeking from around the tree. You could see the whole, because the tree were only six inches around. These things were seven, eight feet tall. So that, that was cool. You know, I was piped about that. And then uh, my, my thermal doesn't have recording capability. So we just have our word. We all took turns watching it. And then I was bluff charged by one in the green swamp after I did a 
wood knock on my way out. I had a whole bank of cameras covering power line routes. And I stopped in the middle of the day where there had been a lot of sightings. And I did a, a wood knock. All it was in my mountain bike. And that's all I had because my, my truck was at the trailhead. And something came unglued out in the swamp. I think that was a defining moment when some, I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it was a Bigfoot, but I don't have any proof. Because I've never, right. I've never had anything come unglued in the swamp and come charging out. And before it broke out, it was sounded so pissed off that I, I was just like, I'm looking around. There's nobody around. I just, at the last minute, I just absolutely said, I'm getting out of here. If this thing comes out in front of me and sees it's me, it's going to be pissed. So I jumped on my mountain bike, and I just took off out of them before it came out of the swamp. I thought that was ironic that here I am looking for my quarry, and here it comes – possibly come charging out of the swamp but it sounded so mad I, I thought i'd just wait for better wait for a better day to introduce myself yeah. and then i had I, one I, uh, i'm pretty sure that i i'd be getting <laughs> headed the other way too if i heard you know an aggressive uh yeah display i mean just think about yeah. it if it, even if it was you know a known animal like uh, uh a gorilla if i was in the, the congo and hadn't yep. had a gorilla bluff charge me. I, I think I'd be headed the other way, even well, though I knew what it was. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's what it sounded like. It sounded like a gorilla back there, just busting crazy. trees and branches and stomping. And uh, I, I just, I just, I just knew what it had to be because I've, I've been in the woods enough to know that nothing makes that much noise in the middle of the day, other than a truck or a person, maybe a big person or a bigfoot. So. And then I had one to push a tree down at us up in North Florida after I did another daytime wood knock with my wife. Luckily, I wasn't by myself, and it pushed a tree down just on the ridge just above us in a, in a very active part uh, right in the middle of the day, just a beautiful, calm day. And you could just, right after I did the wood knock, this tree got pushed down, and it was popping and snapping all the way down. It was like a like something had like tied a truck, had tied a rope around a tree and pulled it down. It would just in, in that park. We've had lots of experiences in that park, lots of stomping up on hills when we were looking for footprints down on a remote creek. So yeah, I, I've had lots of, of experiences, but I've never actually seen one with my eyes during the daytime. And that might not be a terrible thing because a lot of the people that I have <laughs> spoke to said that's all you mm-hmm. see at night when you close your eyes is that oh, all you well, see is that face. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I know people that wish they hadn't have seen it. Yes, you man. know, which is interesting. Yeah, it I mean, it, it is and interesting. Some people actually have, you know, PTSD because of what happened to them. Have to get therapy yes, and that kind of thing. Well, that's true because I mean, different people. It's there's another show right there where we talk about the psychology behind what happens to people when they have a sighting. Because I mean, <laughs> you know, you got people like Shane who had a a nighttime. And they had a, like a two-day thing where they had a lot of aggressive behavior, tree knocks and rocks being thrown into their camp. And then, then he sees one, you know, in the light of the fire. Um, and and it didn't dissuade him. His, but he had a couple of buddies that him is with them. And one of them wants nothing to do with the subject at all. You know, doesn't want to talk mm. about it. You know, so denial is one of the it's, – it's not much different than other trauma in people's lives. Tra- some people respond with, you know, the it's like the monkey putting their their hands over there, la la la. I do not see or right. open their eyes, you know. 
I do not see Bigfoot. I did not. It did not happen uh, because it's a. It is. It's a paradigm shift. If, especially, you know, it's it's one thing if you have a context that that and you maybe you're a researcher or, a, or an enthusiast and you you uh, have an idea that they might be out there. But but you know, if you put yourself in the place of somebody who doesn't have any concept whatsoever, and then all of a sudden they walk through that door of you know this thing's out there and maybe it's somebody who's had a lot of time out in the woods and they don't like the idea that all the time that they were out there i met a guy that was uh a bear hunter that had an encounter and it freaked him out because it's like all this time that i've been out there you know i've never known that they were there and um that's that's a good point i mean it's you know it's always when i when um my uh, girlfriend and I, Susan, have go on uh, extended hikes for you know, and camp out for five or six days, and and uh, always wonder in that time how many times that you know I haven't seen any, how many animals, not just Bigfoot, but how many animals have seen me that I never saw. Mm-hmm. And how many of them were predators? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the interesting it, and you touched <laughs> on a point there, David, with the. Uh, the therm, um, I I know of a number of occasions where people have been looking through a therm and uh, saw what they believed to be a Bigfoot and were not it did they didn't have a recorder, you know ninety nine I if, I'm sure you're like uh, most people when they go out even researchers go out and don't necessarily expect something to happen every time that you're out, so you know it's it talks about preparedness. First of all, technology, we're just getting to the point where um, some, that, some of that technology is now uh, not cost prohibitive to, to Bigfoot research individuals that research Bigfoot. Um, but in the past, it certainly was. You know, a, what a therm used to be, you know, you couldn't touch it. It was only things that, that they were only available to, like, military. And now, there's, you know, there is uh, a civilian thermal technology that's available but it and it's still pricey you know the, the best mm-hmm. stuff is still really expensive right yep it's coming down considerably thank goodness yeah yeah and it can only um get more you know more accessible as the time goes on because they're always coming out with the next best thing you know Yep, and it's it's too bad most of the people that that we run across, which are just normal people going about their everyday business to see a Bigfoot, those are the kind of people that are never going to have a therm in their hand or a night right. vision. Right. I mean, it, right. It, it's, yeah. it's like it seems, it seems to be the people that are running into these things are the last people that ever want to even see a Bigfoot. Uh, they're 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 the ones that win the golden ticket is the ones that aren't even looking to buy a ticket. Uh, they just happen right. to be in the absolute right place at the golden time. I had a guy. Um, I was working. I had a parabolic dish in front of me two weeks ago, and I was working. It was just quite a quiet day. It was in the middle of the week. I had two families standing in front of me, so I'm talking to them, and the phone rings. <clears throat> I figure somebody's just going to ask me for the hours. I pick up the phone. I'm in the middle of two things, and this guy says commences into his Bigfoot sighting in Savannah, Georgia, when he was 18 years old. He was up in a tree stand, and he was telling me the long story. I said, I said, I'd explain to him, I'm right in the middle of some things, but if you can give me the 60-second 
nutshell what happened, then you can call me later when I'm not as busy and then tell me the whole story. So this guy commences to give me just a short version where he was in a tree stand, 16 feet up in a tree stand outside Augusta, Georgia, when he was 18 years old. And this Bigfoot walks out of the woods and is looking up at him. And he says, you don't understand, sir. He says, this thing is thinking. It's looking at me like a person. I'm looking down at it. And he says, I can see the compassion in its eyes. And I, I didn't quite understand because I didn't get the whole gist of what was going on. I got the short story. But three times he said, I, can, I could see the compassion in its eyes as it was looking at me. It was thinking. And I could see that this guy, man, he could have talked to me for an hour. Uh, but I got the gist of the story. I, I gave him my cell number. I said, please call me back tonight at home when I'm not at the museum. I have time to listen to it. But he did call me back. I think he just wanted to get it off his chest and ask me if I had any maps of Bigfoot sightings in Georgia, which I don't sell. So I mean, that's just the kind of thing. I never know who's going to walk in the door. And, of course, that that was unreported. You know, I had another guy come in uh, five days ago and tell me about the Bigfoot when he was – uh, shooting woodpeckers with a BB gun when he was 12 years old uh, in oh, where was it? in Covington, Georgia. Uh, this Bigfoot walks, this hairy man walks out about six foot four. It wasn't huge, but it was bigger than he was. Walks out and sits down on a rock 20 feet away and is looking at him as he's sitting down, hiding it on a on a stump, shooting woodpeckers. And he said he's looking at these things. I never even heard of a Bigfoot. I don't know what a Sasquatch. I never even heard of these things. And I get up, I run home, and I tell my mother, and my mom says, well, it was probably a bear. He's like, Mom, this thing was on two legs. <laughs> and he said, and he, and he said, but it wasn't shaggy. Like, you all, you know, you see these pictures of Bigfoot with all the hair? He said, it wasn't shaggy. It was built like a man, just like a man. But it was covered in coarse hair. But you could see all the skin. So it wasn't, like, super hairy. It just had coarse hair on it about the length of a hog. Real coarse and black, but you could plainly see all the skin, all the body. It wasn't covered, covered in hair. It just had hair all over its body. Oh. So I thought that was interesting too. Uh, um, but yeah, it just like it just runs the gambit. Now we don't get the it's just the regular everyday big hairy eight foot Bigfoot. It's now uh, there's all kinds of varieties. Right. Has have you had anybody come in and um, say that they saw a white one? Oh, several. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, Sibella Irwin, uh, probably the best Bigfoot artist in the world, works at the museum yeah. with us now. And uh, she, uh, we had a gal come in and saw a white one in Massachusetts when she was doing her homework. And it was, this lady says, she's not a big real estate person. And now she, she's got, she says, I have a photographic memory. And she sat down with Sibella and she did a sketch on a white one which is hanging in the museum and uh, my husband and wife that live in Morganton, Georgia, which is just 15 miles up the road. They've seen a white one twice on their property. One time it was looking at them through their window. And the next time it was standing in the driveway hmm. when the woman who was a nurse drove in, it was standing right in the middle of her driveway. She said it wasn't gray. It was white. Mm. That is. Yeah. yeah I've, I've heard several reports well. about that. And uh, that that's just, Mind-blowing. Yep. Um, so we have about 12 minutes left, and I wanted to touch on a couple things about your museum. Um, now, where do you get most of the things that you 
have in your museum? I mean, are they from people's collections? Um, do you have stuff made for you, or is it a combination of things? Yep, yeah, it's a combination. We first opened up 80% of the stuff I've built myself by hand. Um, a few things that, uh, like our Yeti hand and our Yeti scalp, the guy who did the special effects for um, Marvel's uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, he was on break, so he made a Yeti hand and scalp for us that we used to display in the museum, which is almost better than what you see on TV. He did such a phenomenal job. But a lot of the actual artifacts that we have are are, are uh, donated or put on loan by the actual witnesses. Uh, the people, things that people save, whether it be uh, clear footprint cast or hair samples by police officers. We just had a guy uh, donate a pair of overalls. The overalls he was wearing in Alaska, he was a gold miner, and a Bigfoot saved his life when he was drowning in a flooded river, reached in and grabbed him and threw him out onto the rocks. And uh, so he donated his uh, the overalls that he was wearing ah. when this thing did that. So, yeah, a lot of this stuff comes from – oh, yeah, we have all Tom Slick's uh, expedition gear. It was in the Tom Slick's family who live in Atlanta. So they donated all his expedition gear from the Himalayas. Wow. That on display. Awesome. So yeah, we're very fortunate. Yeah, that that's definitely worth the trip down to see that. Um, what what is your most favorite thing for yourself personally that you have in your museum? My favorite my favorite exhibit is the one that captivated my my fascination. Which even though it was originally the Legend of Boggy Creek, but that led me to read about the Ape Canyon incident back in 1924 uh, in uh, Washington State. So my favorite exhibit is the is a life-size exhibit of the inside of the cabin with the Bigfoots busting into the cabin and trying to get into the cabin. And it's fascinating oh, yes. for me because it, it grabs my attention. And when kids come, which is really what the museum is designed for, we're, we're not trying to, to force Bigfoot on people. We make it entertaining. But when kids come in and they see this and they go, oh, my God. I get, they have the feeling of fascination and amazement that I had when I first saw that movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek. And when they leave, they go, wow, that was really, that was really interesting. Yeah, well, it's all true. Everything back there is true. Everything back there is based on reality. Nothing's made up. There's nothing invented back there. And that's just a tiny portion of what's out there. So when the kids leave, they see all the things like that uh, that really grab their attention and make them want to go home and ask questions. You know, that's what they're there for. That's what we really built the museum for, which instill more young people to get into this um, because uh, it, it's the most interesting thing I've ever come across in my whole life. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that um, part of your exhibit, and I, I do think that's really awesome. I mean, <clears throat> did you have someone um, make that for you? or? Nope, I made it. You made it. Wow. That's awesome. That is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, my, my wife and my, I got started doing making props when I was going to propose to my wife. I made her a bottle that looked like he was floating in the ocean for 100 years and with a note in it written by a pirate. And, <laughs> and I set it up so that she accidentally found it, this, this message in a bottle. And uh, I enjoyed making it so much. Of course, I love my girlfriend, who's now my wife, who I made this. I wanted it to be so authentic. When you look at it, it looks like it's been floating in the ocean 
for 100 years with parchment paper, and I wrote it with a quill penned in just that old-style uh, Gothic writing. And I thought, God, I really enjoy this. I like to, I'd like to do this all the time. So that's what I do now. I'm like, I just love designing and building exhibits the hard way. I don't take any easy way. There's no Walmart, Costco stuff in there. Everything is handmade because I, I want people to come and see this museum as so unique that that it, that that's the way Bigfoot is to me. It's so unique. It's not like anything else. And I want the museum experience to be the same. I want it to be so unique that nothing in there, even the bathroom signs, is something that they've never seen anyplace else. Everything from top to bottom is unique and unusual uh, and, and uh, interesting. David, I think wow. for the 8th Canyon display, you need to now make a stuffed replica of Mark Marcel, the gentleman who found, the, <laughs> rediscovered the location of the cabin. I don't know if you're aware yes. that, that uh, Shane and I had went, you know, went to the site with uh, Mark. Wow, it's been a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's it, that's cool. I, I, your uh, your museum is definitely on my personal bucket list. Um, fortunately, Julie lives a lot closer, so. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you're probably like what a two-day <laughs> drive. <laughs> yeah. If you were to drive it. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, so if folks want to find out more about you and and the your museum, where can they find you? Um, well, we're we're in Sherry Log, Georgia, which is uh, northern Georgia. We're only thirty minutes from the North Carolina state line, and maybe thirty five minutes from the uh, an, uh, Tennessee state line. We're in the very northwestern corner of of Georgia, up in the mountains. But if you can see pictures and reviews and comments and stories about people's visit, if you check out our Facebook page, which is just Expedition Bigfoot, I'll take you there. And then we have we have a, a mobile website um, that people can go to as well. And uh, that mobile website is expeditionbigfoot.mdom.mobl. Hi. Oh, I, sorry, M-O-B-I. So that's our mobile website. But all the good stuff is probably more so on our Facebook page if you have it. Because people, they they, they post lots and lots of pictures and comments. And and, um, it's just, and of course, I post a lot of stuff out there. But when people bring me a good story, you know, I share it. I mean, I don't keep anything. I keep very little secret, which is usually something that's too upsetting for people to know because we don't want to scare people, but think scary things do come to us and we keep that to ourselves. And of course, exact locations and, um, you know, names, we keep that stuff, but, but anything that is deemed interesting to other researchers, man, I, I usually post it within 12 hours because I'm a big believer in just that you know, are sharing the information. People were good enough to share information, which is how I learned what I learned. And I feel like I'm returning the favor by sharing everything I learn freely with everybody because, like I've, I've said a hundred times before, we're going to get there together. Not one person is not going to get there to the answer. We all have to get there together. So that's why I share 99% of everything I get, I share it out there. Uh, I, I often say collaboration, not competition. There's been enough of the, uh, the competition in the past. Um, sharing is caring. 
We appreciate uh, you joining us today, David. Folks, if you know if you are headed to Georgia or nearby, Expedition Bigfoot Museum in Cherry Log, Georgia. Um, we'll post a link to their Facebook page in the Monster X group and on our our Facebook page and our website. So if you you have the opportunity, go there, check in on Facebook, so you you know that we know you've been there, and uh, and tell us what a good time you've had. I'm going to make it over there, I swear, and I'll let you know when I'm coming, David. <laughs> good enough. So I'll folks, meet you there, Gunner. For, okay, well let's let's set it up. We'll even, That'd be we awesome. can get Mr. Corson. We should do a broadcast of Monster X from hey, that's, the Bigfoot Museum. That's a grand idea, like <laughs> please. <laughs> so. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on Monster X Radio. Um, we'll have another ex- brand-new ex- I can't even speak episode next week. And until then, we appreciate you all, and uh, have a great week. Thanks, David. The great talking to you guys. You too. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye.